You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the ProSound Web Podcast Network. Signal to Noise is supported by Audix. Check out their new line of Pro Studio headphones and A131 and A133 large diaphragm studio condenser mics at audixusa.com. Alan and Heath has asked us to read the following statement. Food for thought. The more holes you have in Swiss cheese, the less cheese you have. The more cheese you have, the more holes you have. Therefore, the more cheese you have, the less cheese you have. What a world we live in. Oh, straight out of Hartford. Yes. Hartford. <laughs> yes, Hartford. Where it's at. Not really. Home of hate breed. Connecticut hardcore. So, Kyle, what? you may... Connecticut hardcore. Hate breed. You have, like, the news on, Kyle? Hopefully, maybe the uh, noise suppression will uh, cut it out anyway once, uh, once it mixed down. Kyle, you want to do the intro to the episode? Can you hear my background? Oh, yep. (laughs) All right, let me just. uh, Maybe I should do it from the shitter. (laughs) (laughs) Is that going to go in the episode? That really should. It's possible. I mean, I'm I'm recording right now, so (laughs) that would be amazing. Well, just so it does, we'll just keep on going. Welcome okay. to the Signal to Noise podcast. <laughs> if it's your first time, uh, you're not. You really haven't missed much. If it's your second time, <laughs> we've 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 got issues. Welcome, join my friends with issues, Chris Leonard and Michael Lawrence. We're here hey. tonight, and so. this might be your third time. I don't know, or fourth. <laughs> Or even fifth, who's to say? <laughs> I mean, I think it. we should have like a punch card for everybody at home. So that way they can get like a free taco or a t-shirt or something after they've successfully completed a few episodes. Oh, so like if you right, listen to like 10 episodes, you get, yeah, yeah. Yeah, then you get to listen to it. <laughs> yeah, you, no you get something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, get to, you can go listen to a real podcast like Michelle Obama or possibly Pooch or Raybould or... <laughs> Um, what other what other podcasts are really good? I don't even know. I don't even know. There's Rogan, this guy Ro- Joe Rogan. Rogan appa- yeah, apparently Rogan. People like to listen to Rogan. You know, um, but yeah, yes, people do that. Uh, <laughs> thanks to Audix. Thanks to Alan and Heath. Thanks to the clinic. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your listenings. Uh, we've been trending <laughs> upwards. It's crazy. So people are actually listening to more than one episode. And yep. I think people are actually listening to the end now, so it's really nice. Um, yeah, club, club all Rudabaga. of us are. Yeah, we we all are working really hard right now, and this is super fun because fitting this into our schedule, we it develops a lot more pertinent questions to our guests and each other, and it's it's way more engaging than that whole COVID thing. Um, <laughs> weird, strange. Uh, gas is expensive, so this is way easier to do. This is like we're going to go to Todd in the helicopter, and he's going to give us a traffic update. That's kind of what feels <laughs> like to me right now, man. So instead of the traffic update, how has your gigs been? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm 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 having a blast. Well, man. you said you're like so, you're like, hey, I'm you know I'm learning it. You're like I'm getting the hang of this. You were saying in, in the group text, you were like, all right, I'm starting to like feel like an SE now. Like you're you're getting your feet under. Yeah, it. yeah. And, and I, I kind of feel like a crew chief now too. Like I don't like I don't like telling anybody how to do their job. 
You know what I mean? Like, that's just not, that's not me. And I think if you were put in that position, I didn't pick the, my folks, like it, they were put in that position because they know what they're doing. You know what I mean? And we've talked about that before on the show as well Is like, you know, I, I get it now at some point your department needs to be invisible to production, you know, and that means you're doing what you should be doing on a daily basis. You know what I mean? So if, if audio is coming up in conversations or video or carps or whatever the case may be, you know, usually it's like, Hey, are we using that thing today that you didn't use yesterday because you forgot it or whatever? <laughs> like it, you almost at this point, you need to be an invisible entity to your client and it just needs to happen. And, um, truthfully, personally, I'm having a really good time. Uh, my ease drawings have been turning out great. Michael's looked over them. I've had like five people from inside Claire look over my ease drawings. Everyone says I'm right there. Um, the cohesion rig is really easy to fly. Um, my riggers on the tour are amazing because they've been do working with Claire forever. So getting my points at seven thirty in the morning hasn't been a problem. Um, we've now successfully done an arena, a stadium, and um, wh what are those things called? Sheds, amphitheaters, <laughs> and um. So everybody's favorite venue, to... the shed. Yeah, they're they're known <laughs> yeah. for their excellent acoustics. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just like just like hockey arenas, bro. I mean, the, I can't wait to put a loud rock band in a place that they play ice hockey. Like, whose idea was that? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm having fun, Chris. That's you've good. been all over the place too, man. You've been flying in to do site surveys and stuff, and yeah, we got a big gig coming up in Chicago, end of June, beginning of July. Um, and so, yeah, I've been doing some surveys out there. Uh, this is going to come out after Nam, but uh, next week, Michael and I will be out at Nam, and that's going to be amazing. Uh, so many people. I, I literally started making a list on my phone to like check off to make sure I see this person, this person, this person, this person. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it's it's, it's good to you know. Um, Last last housekeeping, uh, you know, join our Discord server that that's growing. Uh, lots of good stuff happening there. Facebook group. Um, let's keep seeing the show pictures, asking the questions, po job postings, all that. That's all coming together really well. So, I uh, met a couple listeners over the weekend, which is kind of cool. Is awesome. In, uh, yeah, Minneapolis uh, with with Miguel, um, and I uh, met three different folks who came up to front of house and and said they listened to the show and it was really cool to meet them and uh told me about their projects it's interesting stuff going on i definitely want to give a shout out to steven and joe my uh my se's they were fantastic um it's probably the best behaved sound system i've been handed in in years and uh it was, I didn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I go, I'm just going to be left right. Uh, I felt like a true for an ass engineer. <laughs> so that was fantastic. Um, so, yeah, that was really cool. And, and obviously, uh, it was really great to, to hear that people are listening and that, you know, that they're digging it. So that's that's cool. Um, Actually, interesting. Switch pants, Michael. Yeah, man. I know. Like, I became, yeah, front house mixer. You're a mixer and now, and, yeah. and now I'm yeah. an SE. Weird. Yeah, man, Weird, Kyle. Man. If you put Michael's pants on, actually, well, you're pretty close to the same size. So yeah, we could, might, probably, we could probably probably switch pants. 
Um, Speaking of running into listeners, I was blown away. Uh, I was doing a show at Drexel University, which is, you know, in our backyard. I've been doing shows there for over a decade. Um, And a lot of the shows we do involve the president of the university, um, President John Fry. Um, and there is, um, this gentleman, his name is, uh, Darren, Darren Pfeiffer, um, who is, he's the, um, associate vice president of administration and protocol, which basically he makes sure that like everything's in line for the president and any, any engagement he does or any speech he does and things like that. And so him and I, every time there's an event, we're always just hanging out and talking. He's like, um, oh, by the way, he's like, uh, wanted to, um, mention, you know, Hey, I, I love the podcast. And I was like, wait, what? You listen to the podcast? <laughs> he was like, yeah. He's like, I have zero idea what you guys are saying 50% of the time. But he's like, he's like, he's like, he's like you know, I was like, he's like, but I just really enjoy listening to people who are, who are so enthusiastic about what they do. Uh, and That's that was cool. a really cool compliment to know that people who maybe don't even understand what the heck we're talking about somehow find meaning and joy and stuff of what we do. So that was pretty satisfying to hear. So. Well, that's that's thank fantastic. you, Darren. Appreciate think, it. If you, if, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think that's awesome that there's like a cool split in in how we personally deliver our viewpoints on all these things, you know. And it, even tonight's guests, like, I think that we will all develop something different for her to to throw back at us, and and it is engaging. Yes. Like, um. I will. I will mention this since we mentioned Joe Rogan. I am now taking Alpha Brain. <laughs> Have you seen that? Yeah. And I feel about three percent smarter than I did on the last episode that I did. Wow! So, are, 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 I might, are, I might are, blow are, your are, mind. Are there stages to it? Are you on like Beta Brain right now, and then you get to Alpha Brain, or how does? <laughs> No, I've been beta brain my whole life, pretty much. <laughs> theta, theta brain, actually. It was with so, a T. I don't know if that's in, later in the alphabet or what. Chris, tell us about our guest. You, Chris has been pretty stoked about this one. He's been sending us texts for a couple days. So yeah, let's, let's and actually, what's he up to? I know. Well, what's, what's, I mean, we got to give a shout out first to Chris Tanzuras, who actually who made this connection. Um, as, Yay, so Chris. thank you, thank you, Chris. Um, for those who don't know, he works at Rational. Uh, unfortunately, with Michael, uh, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We're kept segregated, though. I typically butcher names, so I should have asked the pronunciation <laughs> of the last. Is it Guile? No, no, just do it. Is it Guile? Gil. Damn it! Fifty-fifty chance. Okay. Right. No, if, right. if you don't get Gil, you get got like it. Guile is very common. It's Gil. It's a hard. G. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. Bobby Gil uh, is a mastering engineer based out of Nashville. Uh, she made the move to Nashville in October 2017. Spent four years at Georgetown Masters under the direction of Cheese Mastering Engineer Andrew Mendelson. Um, in 2022, uh, that's this year. Uh, did you Bobby, say Cheese uh, Mastering Engineer, or did I just hear you? <laughs> did I did I say that? I'm, I'm I might be two beers no. deep. Um, no, I think you you, you said chief. chief. It's chief. good. Oh, chief. I, I, chief. I okay, I got you. I, I don't that's enunciate. That's well, far less exciting which, than what I thought. I was like, tell uh, me about this cheese master. I mean, yeah. master cheese engineer. <laughs> I we do like cheese. I a cheese master. Um, <laughs> I, 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 
I don't enunciate well, which is not good for being on a microphone every week. Um, um, anyway, she's the head mastering engineer uh, at Welcome to 1979, which is a multifaceted analog-centric studio that provides both digital and vinyl mastering services. Uh, and cool I'm going to do a little, bit of a little bit of spoiler <laughs> alert. Um, the oh. first thing that actually intrigued us was um, you've been cutting vinyl live at Nashville Soccer uh, Club. Um, and and that's we'll get there but anyway welcome to the show bobby thanks Yay. for having me this is great yeah. <laughs> so we were talking we, about how much vinyl we each own in preparation for this ooh, episode yeah let's I go own, there first I only, so I, I own two vinyls they're purely oh, decorative good. i have good. i have a uh original 1987 phantom of the opera original cast recording vinyl um wow, and, so, okay. I, and i have the the uh, impera <laughs> record by ghost because i i worked on the tour and i have those mounted in my living room that's it so they i don't listen to that's them they just it. they look nice that's it yeah man hey that's i mean my parents have my mom has a beatles record framed and an italian record framed and she never listens to them but they make nice art pieces oh i, I mean i appreciate the um aesthetic of it which oh, i yeah. think has been lost in the modern you know to have a thing that you can hold that's got artwork on it like we've lost that part of it so so as silly mm-hmm. as it sounds like the thing that i like about vinyl is totally fulfilled by me putting on on the wall you know no i mean I'm... that's like go ahead, Bob. um go ahead. i mean that's why there's part of, like part of the reason why there's such a boom in vinyl right now is cuz it's really the only thing that consumers can hold on to in terms mm. of owning their music you know and that's why they put so much or artists and indie or big label artists have put so much effort into album art and everything for these vinyl records is because it's the only thing that um, consumers really want to own at this point or can own. So yeah, that's, that's exact- not silly at all. To, like, no, that, so I, I, I own that. exactly double the amount of vinyl that uh, Michael has. I have four uh, vinyl here. <laughs> And and it's Amazing. it's literally I actually don't own a record player. Um, it is purely for the fact of like you said, <laughs> these are two different artists that are my favorite artists. That um, you know they do mm-hmm. like Indiegogo and and whatever you know crowdfund album projects. And it's like, hey, if I'm going to support this band that I love, it'd be cool to have something you know tangible. Um, and then you get the cool like you know like color splatter style vinyl out of it. So right. it's like, and you're buying it for like the cool look of it. But I feel like all right, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna support this band i get a tangible product that looks cool from an art art standpoint and everything like that so yeah that's why i even have vinyl that is a cool looking <laughs> vinyl man it I, is that's cool. cool all four of these are cool so that one's like for those who can't see at home it's like a translucent with like a red kind of splatter yeah. um one is a like solid a solid white which is kind of cool Ooh. um i have a oh shit hold on what's this one uh this one's hard to see um if you don't have light behind it, um, it's got um, it looks like a like a black swirl that you can shine light through. It's hard to see without light. And then the last one would be like a um, translucent uh, blue. But anyway, weird. All right, I have like I'll, I'll go super old school. I have four crates of records, everything from yeah. classic stuff to. You know, the new re-release 180 gram stuff just because I had to have it on the big thick vinyl. And mm-hmm. um, I do have a record player, but I rarely play it. Um, I have a lot of nostalgia with records. And and you said 
Bobby, you said the, the resurgence of vinyl. I think the resurgence of vinyl has been going on for quite some time. I'm seeing resurgence of cassettes. And I think that is the stupidest yeah. thing. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, cassettes were like a broken down version of the vinyl. And, and it's odd to see that people are actually kind of doing demos on cassettes again. It's, it's strange to me. You know, I, I haven't, I think I've been mastering for about six or seven years now. And I think I've done two masters for cassette, but I cut like three to four albums for vinyl a day. So it's, I mean, I, I do it's see the resurgence of cassette too. And it, it, I, yeah, I don't, it's weird. I don't know why I don't own can't play cassettes i don't have anything to play them i don't want to play them <laughs> I'm you good. know what of, of all things i actually do have a cassette player downstairs uh it's a brand new one believe it or not so like when i came to ims you know we actually still had cassette and cd players like in our racks um mm -hmm. and there was on the shelf there was these boxes of brand new you know rack mountable cassette decks that never got used and so we've been cleaning off shelves like years ago i'm like you know what this is a brand new one i'm gonna put this in my crawl space downstairs because one day for whatever reason i'm gonna want to go back to my old cassettes and i need a working cassette player so i've kept a cassette player simply for that fact <laughs> I'm gonna have to borrow that from you. I have whatever. way more cassettes than I do al <laughs> albums, and and the reason I think the resurgence of the cassette might have something to do with the playability. Like, I I was a a, a rap metal kid, so like being able to play a cassette in front of your friends from a boombox or you know some other source was a lot easier than carrying around your records. You know, I wasn't a DJ, so sure. And and, and DJs don't even carry around records anymore. It's all Serato. So like um, Serato, yeah. Mm -hmm. It, it, it's hard to find, but vinyl, there's just some kind of passion about it. Even audiophiles love vinyl. Like, they really do. They'll they'll buy hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of Macintosh and speakers and everything else just mm -hmm. to amplify a, a needle on a record, which is amazing to me. And um, I can see the passion in it. I really can. Like, the album art... I want to talk about your cutting and your mastering techniques for those things, because yes, I know it's 100%. completely like a lost art almost at this point. Like um, mm -hmm. you have to be taught by somebody almost like an apprenticeship to do vinyl stuff. Yeah. I mean, so I, I was mastering digitally for a while, um, but it wasn't until I started at 79 about a year ago um, that I started cutting for vinyl, and I was taught by our previous headmaster engineer, Maggie Luther. And was, was she a cheese it, mastering? Was she? She was a cheese. <laughs> okay, good. yeah, she was a cheese. Um, I think more like a Swiss. Okay. Uh, there was holes in it. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm Swiss. Yes. Look, see, I have, a, I have a Swiss flag tattooed on my arm here. Sorry, my, we my... are we are not behaving oh, ourselves tonight. No, it's fine. Um, she'll appreciate that. She'll 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 like that. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically an apprenticeship. Like I, I was able to use the techniques I learned as a master engineer for digital to vinyl to like learn how to use the lathe. But yeah, it's not something that's taught in school or I mean, anything like that. So yeah, it, it definitely is kind of a lost art. It's same with, um, cause we also have an in-house, uh, electroplating facility here too, which is, um, I won't go too much into it, but after you cut lacquer for vinyl it gets plated to metal 
And then that metal piece is what actually gets pressed at pressing plants. Mm. And so we have an in-house plating facility here and it's the same thing. I mean, everything is just through a trade um, and learning from other people. And uh, yeah, it, it's fascinating. It really is. Do you so learn the maintenance from by... them as well? Oh, sorry, like a no. tattoo? Do you learn the maintenance from um... them on the machines? <laughs> like, like a tattoo artist would as an apprenticeship? Yeah, we, so we learn a little bit from the people who are teaching us, obviously, but then, I mean, we have a technician that we work with, um, but he's out in California and I think he does service for like the majority of other cutting engineers in the U S. So, um, it's definitely a little, it's, it's majority of just learning it on your own and kind of picking up things as things break and figuring out how they work. But then also, you know, there are some technicians still out there that know if they don't know about lathes, they know about tape machines and you can kind of apply similar ideas to both and figure it out. So I read a book by Douglas self who uh, designed a lot of analog consoles for Neve and Soundcraft, And he's a, uh, uh, very sassy uh, British circuit designer, so his books are a riot. Um, he talks a lot about some of the issues with vinyl, like the end of side distortion, where the, the, it's not moving under the needle as quickly, so you, you, you basically lose kind of fidelity there. And um, mm -hmm. just, uh, I mean, it was really interesting, just sort of things that are inherent with the medium. So you get into these, well, that's why kind of like the big single is usually like first or second on the side because it's, it sounds better when you, when you cut it farther out. And, and I, I found yep. all that fascinating. How much of that is just stuff that comes with vinyl that's part of the deal? And how much of that has like been improved upon because it's sort of a resurgence? Like, I mean, it's, in 2022, we have a whole different technological tool set at our fingertips than we did in 1970. So like how much of that has there been improvement to and how much of it you just go like, yeah, that's uh, that's just vinyl. That's just what it is. You know what I mean? I, I don't know I if mean, that question the, makes sense. <laughs> no, I, I, I totally get it. Um, and actually I just had a conversation similar to this with, a uh, another engineer who used to cut vinyl back in the seventies and eighties. And, um, he asked me too, like, is there kind of a new way that people are cutting? Cause you know, to eliminate some of these issues and, um, there really isn't, <laughs> um, cause it's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's pretty much like a set medium. I mean, I have the lathe behind me and it's from, this one was built in 1974, that's amazing. Um, yeah. And I mean, we use it every single day. And uh, I mean, it's still like it, nothing has I'm changed. I'm from 72 the... and I use me every <laughs> single day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, it, it, it's working. Did, You're working. It's working. What? Everything's working. Do they, is, <laughs> is cutting at half speed so you get better high frequency? Is that still a thing? Because I, they, because I heard, is it, I'm, I remember reading that someday they would cut it at half speed so that the high frequencies, you're less likely to blow up the cutting head with like, you know, 12K. Um, is that a thing? Yeah. Um, so I, have, I haven't cut anything at half speed, but if you do cut something, so you have like 33 RPM and 45 RPM. If you cut something at 45 RPM, um, it will have better fidelity because you're cutting at a higher speed. So you'll have more high frequency content. Um, intact in the cut as opposed to 33 so it's, since it's a slower speed that you're cutting um but yeah i mean if, if anything it's actually it, it's harder to maintain the quality on vinyl because a lot of the files that we're getting now 
are um, mastered for digital release. And so we're tasked with making them fit to vinyl, which there's more to it than just dropping the level, um, which we'll end up doing. I mean, I, I typically drop things like 10 to 12 dB because it's just so loud. And, um, but then you also have to make sure that, you know, you have to model low end if there's a lot of low end in the material. Um, if there's a lot of high end, there's only so much, I mean, anything past 10 K really, if it's, if there's a lot of that in the program material or the source files, it will blow your cutter head. Um, which is the, basically the little box that little needle that cuts grooves into the lacquer. Um, but with digital masters, I mean, you have endless mm-hmm. ones and zeros and bits. And so you can kind of add as much high end or low end as you want, but all that's not going to translate well to lacquer. So you have to adjust things EQ wise, compression wise, all that to just make it fit. And a lot of times people are comparing their vinyl cuts to their digital masters. And they're like, well, why does this sound so different? I'm like, well, it's a physical medium. You know, there you're not going to get what you're not going to get the same thing you have for digital. So would you, would you call that like a, 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 a coloration then? Is there a certain coloration that an album on lacquer gets that you can tell, Oh, that's from vinyl. Yeah, I mean, vinyl is typically, I mean, it's much warmer because of the, um, the kind of restrictions of high end. Um, and then obviously the service noise that comes with vinyl and the more you play it, um, you get, you know, your dust and, and all that that comes through. So you can kind of tell that, that, um, vinyl noise that a lot of people will sample at the beginning of tracks and stuff like that. Um. But yeah, vinyl definitely does add a color. It's 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 warmer. Um, in some cases, it is fuller because when you end up monoing the low end, it's just coming out center instead of kind of spread out um, through your stereo imaging. And um, yeah, I I personally love the the. Um, I mean, I cut vinyl for a living, but I I love the color of it too and what it adds. And <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Well, that, that's I'm, cool I'm coming curious. from a, a younger generation. That's cool. No, go. I was just saying that's cool well, I was gonna say, from a younger I mean, generation. I, th- I feel like the the art of mastering um, mm-hmm. is is a lot of voodoo. Um, at least, it, <laughs> like I, people I, call it black magic. Yeah. So I'm curious. What? Uh, so do you do you do mastering both digital and vinyl, or are you are you almost only vinyl? I, I am both. Um, we're we're known for our vinyl mastering, but we also do digital mastering. So I do both. So I'm curious for those who may not know, um, or even for me, who people like me who know a little bit but still think it's voodoo. What what does it mean to do mastering to an album? Right. So like we're a band. We've done our thing. We freaking love mm-hmm. this thing. It sounds great. We've handed it to you. Why why do I need someone else? And what is it you do to it before it either goes digital or and then end or, you know, what's the difference about how you would handle that from a vinyl standpoint? Um, yeah, so mastering a lot of people don't it's fine. A lot of people don't understand it or know about it. And I really I, I like explaining it with the analogy of or not the analogy, but it's the last step in the creative process and the first step in the um, distribution process of um, someone's music. So we just make sure that um, 
I'm going to disregard vinyl for a second. So just talking digitally. Sure, sure. Um, so we, when you're mastering digitally, you're just, you're making sure that the music that you're working on will play. Um, it's optimized for any format that you want to play through. So any DSP, whether it's like Spotify or title or Apple, um, CD, um, cassette, you know, anything like that. Um, we just, we optimize it to be able to put, like, it plays well through all those different um, mediums that consumers would listen through. So that's basically, that's the bare bones description of mastering. Um, but basically, like, all we want to do when we get a mix, whether it's for an album or for a single, is we want to just enhance the mix and make it, you know, bring out the qualities are, that are the best in it and maybe tuck in some of the stuff that's kind of poking through that's not great um and just make sure that it's it's good for for final release and then we create all the files who who gets to make those decisions or what's that feedback process like do you go through them you're like wait a minute that's not what i just left the studio with or is it traditionally Mm -hmm. uh people how much back and forth is there um from people who had this, you know, I, uh, even I know bands get this, um, they call it demo-itis, right? Just even before they even get yeah. to the studio, right? They're, they're, they're playing, like, man, yeah, I got this sound. It gets mixed, like, wait a minute, but but I liked what I just listened to a thousand times before I went to the studio, and I can imagine the same thing here. You've, mm-hmm. you've went to the studio, you've, you've listened to this for hours and hours, yep, yep, this is great. All of a sudden, you're not a mastering progress, process, and it's still even different from there. So what's that feedback loop like there? Um, well, it, it varies, but basically a, a lot of times when you're mastering, you're in touch with the producer or the engineer. That's the artist at that point is, is, I mean, sometimes artists are really involved in the mastering process. Sometimes they, after the mix process, they've kind of stepped back and let the engineers and producers take care of the rest. Um, but you're really just going back and forth. And, and sometimes if, if it's an engineer you've worked with a lot, they know you're mastering, um, your go-tos when you're master. So they kind of know what to expect. But if it's someone that you haven't worked with before, um, a lot of times for me, I like to ask like, what do you have any mastering notes? Like what albums have you been referencing? What artists have you been referencing? Um, do you have any previous releases that you really like that you would like me to match or kind of go with that vibe? Um, and so a lot of times people come back and they're like, like today I just worked on something that, um, they were like, yeah, my influences were Phoebe Bridgers and Pine Grove and all that. And I was like, okay, that that's a good, I, I can, I can like hear that yeah, and try to go for that with my mastering. Um, so, and then you, we send references. Like I won't just, you know, make these changes and then of course. upload it and call it. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, I'll send references and, and I'll tell them. And a lot of times they're like, you know, this is great. Or, you know, they want the low end a little bit more punchy or my vocal kind of gets lost. And then you just kind of keep going back and forth with that. Um, but it, it's really helpful when they give me, especially if it's an artist I haven't worked with before or an engineer or producer, they give me references that they're trying to go with. Um, that's super helpful with it. And again, like at, at that point, I mean, the mix is intact. The, what they're trying to go for is intact. I'm just trying to like, make it better so it comes across as good as it can be on every medium that someone's yeah. gonna listen on is is luffs one of the most important parts of that or is it just a sliver like what 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 what's the 
most important thing um or maybe top two three things that, that like that like here i gotta hit this 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 mark and this is and then anything around that is just kind of bells and whistles or whatever i don't, I don't know if that even makes sense but no i that makes sense i think um lux is important um i mean it's important to kind of stay within a certain level that you're mastering to just because you know if you've got to go back and remaster something or someone later on down the line is going to remaster something and it was either too loud or too quiet it's good to stay within this you know kind of a safe level and and not kind of compete with those loudness wars um but at the same time um ah, you want to be competitive sorry <laughs> loudness wars <laughs> we're going to come back to that one yeah <laughs> yeah um i don't i don't know if i should have dropped that but um no anyway, no it's a thing because i i was gonna ask you so mix engineers whether they're in the studio or live like ourselves um have our favorite engineers do you have a favorite person that you mm-hmm. love the mastering that they do is that a th- is that a thing where you're like wow yeah. i love how Her- this herself of course yeah, it's yeah, herself, no, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I've actually gotten to a, like I can kind of hear when I listen to things, and I'm like, "Ooh, did did this person master it?" And most of the time, I'm right because there's there's a color. It's um, a style it's too, cool. right? I mean, I mean, everyone yeah. has their kind of yeah. way they paint the picture, right? Exactly. Like, um, you know, one of obviously like some of my favorite records were mastered by greg calby at sterling i mean and and drop the names of the albums so we know yes so um uh several john mayer albums um okay i i want to say he did continuum but i it might have been it was some might have been someone else at sterling but i think he did continuum um and then uh there's another Sarah Bareilles, um, the blessed unrest he did. That's another one of my favorite albums. Um, but you can just, you know, kind of tell that, um, that he did those cause of that color. And they're one of my favorites, um, or some of my favorite albums. Um, See, that's a, that's a super good correlation to this whole audio world thing is like ev- mm-hmm. every little aspect has its own way to paint this picture. And, like when I was growing up, I loved Rick Rubin. I loved Terry Date. I, I, I could name albums and producers and mix engineers that I was like super into. And I've done a couple albums myself and, and sent it off to mastering. And, and it's came back and, and like he said, I want to get back to this loudness force thing. Um, mm-hmm. It's different than what we were feeling in the thing so it's 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 cool that you say that the artist is kind of taken out of the picture and then it's left up to either the producer or the mix engineer and yourself to kind of do that coloration because that leaves your art basically why you were chose and and i think that's that's the whole circle the circle of audio life right there (laughs) yeah it's no it's i i actually really like that i haven't i've never actually heard it like that but i i really I like that. Um, That's the alpha that brain. I told process. you I'm going to blow, I'm yeah. gonna blow your mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, full circle, full circle. You know what? <laughs> Something that I always get stuck on because I, I do my best to, 
stay out of recording studios. I, I just, it's very not, it's not for me. You know, we've I said this before, I, you know, there's nothing appealing to me about listening to the same three minute song for eight hours. Um, just, it's not my thing. So I always get these like local bands that call me up and like, dude, we need our album mastered. And I'm like, you don't want me to do that. Right. And I'm like, well, what do you, what are you trying to achieve here? And they'll be like, well, you know, some of the vocals are pitchy and I'm like, okay, you don't know what mastering is. Like, is there a point (laughs) when people grow out of that and they actually understand what they're asking you to do? Because it's like, I spent so much time explaining to like local musicians that they need mixing, not mastering. She shook her head. She shook her head already. No, they never grow out of it. Like you, no. you get asked it, to do it, shit that should have been fixed in the mix, right? I mean, that's the whole joke, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, and and it's, I mean, it does, it does get a little bit better as the mix or artists have done it more, but yeah, usually new artists are that are just starting out don't really understand the the difference between mixing and mastering, and or a lot of times, you know, they get someone who mixes and masters, which isn't ideal because not ideal it is not not ideal it's not like the way that you think of you think and listen about in mixing is totally different than how you're going to think and mix and listen and mastering like they're two different mindsets and like um uh, this is not not far off from uh the relationship we very much often talk about the relationship of the front of house mix engineer and the systems engineer, the person who's responsible for the system and the delivery, making sure mm-hmm. you have the same experience for everyone, right? Wink, yep. wink, yeah, right. And then versus the mix engineer who created that mix, right? So, I mean, that's a very easy correlation here is that, you know, um, I mean, I, I would say at the heart of mastering, right, is you, you, your goal is to take whatever experience art was made and make that the same experience for everyone. You're not necessarily mm-hmm. now there's art to it, but the, at the end of the day, you're not really there to create art. You're there to deliver the art. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So we, we are there to just to deliver the art, enhance the art. We're not there to, to completely change it. I mean, you know, a lot of times people think, Oh, once it's mastered, it's going to sound like amazing. <laughs> it's like, no, like there's, there's only so, like, especially like if you're just doing a stereo, if you're mastering with just a stereo file, I mean, there's only so many things you can do with two tracks, you know, there's. Hold on. I, sorry. So yeah. do you do mastering? I, I'm, and this is, uh, maybe it stems, baby. The same as me. Well, no. So is there more than just stereo mastering? I had no idea. I thought you always presented a two mix and you're mastering upon that. What, what other st- mastering is there? There is STEM mastering. Um, I, and, and some engineers are, are very much into it. I, I, I tend to try to stay away from it just because at that point I feel like I'm mixing. Right. Um, and, but you can master STEM. So if some, you know, the mix engineer will bring, you know, all their drums to two tracks or four tracks and all their guitars to two tracks. And then you're, you know, you're kind of balancing everything out and mastering from there. But I, I just feel like it gets kind of messy and and like I said at that point I'm I'm it's, also it's like mixing. It's like, a, it's like just... a hybrid. It's like a hybrid approach. Is there is there in your world? Is there a term for anything besides a two track mastering? Is there you know loudness or <laughs> yeah, yeah loudness or or and stem mastering? I mean stem mastering. Okay. Yeah. So like someone's you know sometimes people email and they're like, hey, do you do stem mastering and. Um, and I'll be like, yeah, but then it also costs extra because you're working yeah, with multiple more work. files, more time. Yeah. And then usually when that, 
when you throw in the cost, they're like, two tracks is fine. What? All right. So what? What would <laughs> drive a person to want to do STEM master? What would be the Playback. primary reason for that? Playback on stage. <laughs> um. Death. Yeah, and like a little bit, and also um, more because, to be honest, I I don't really know, but I think it's just to be able to have more control over the balance of things. Because I think sometimes, especially when I'm if I'm mastering from a stereo file, um, you know, sometimes I'll like the other day I was mastering something and the guitars were panned far left and right, but they were so loud and they were kind of overpowering the vocals. So in stem mastering would have been great to be able to like bring those down separately instead of having to kind of sweep through frequencies and try to find um, where those were sitting and then, you know, put it inside and and drop it and do all that. Um, So balance and, and, you know, frequency tweaks with stem mastering is probably the biggest um, advantage to it. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, I I just feel like balance should have been done in the mix. Like that's that's a, yeah, that, such a big focus. Like, it, it's baffling to me that at that point, like, like you said, I mean, if at that point of what you're trying to do to balance guitars, like that's the mix that someone chose to do at that point. I don't know. I feel like that's yeah. Anyway, that's I, right. I'm going to drop a name. So, uh, Bob Katz, who wrote wrote a book on mastering, which is which is mm-hmm. a great book for anybody who's interested, and that's like ninety six percent of what I know about mastering is is from talking to no, Bob love, and, and reading yeah. his book. Um, and he said mm-hmm. basically, like you, he'll do a, a when he does stem mastering, he'll do a print, and then he'll do vocal up by half a dB and vocal down by half mm-hmm. a dB. So if it comes back from the artist that they want it, like it's just it's easier to do that change when you locked into a stereo mix. It's a lot harder to do something like vocal up. You got to yeah. start doing like so. So I I I get it. Um, but I also yeah. actually see why it. you, somebody said something to me. It was really interesting one time. It's very similar. They were like, you know, the thing about the drum kit is it's not like you have an acoustic guitar and you like, we set the EQ on acoustic guitar. We're mixing or whatever. He's like, you have a drum kit. He's like, you have 14 inputs. He's like, you have way more control over the balance of the elements of the kit and the tonality of the kit that we don't have with pretty much any other instrument that we might have at our mix. Um, mm-hmm. And he's like, you really can't avoid like editorializing a drum sound, which I thought was an interesting comment from somebody who wasn't a mix engineer. Cause we have to decide on a balance between these elements. Whereas just a keyboard, we just, you know what ah, I mean? So like, I, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah it was, it was like the, the, the deciding comment. of the balance, right? Like an acoustic guitar that like, it's, it's, it's one thing, like it's one emanating sound. Whereas yeah, the, yeah. A, a drum, yeah it's interesting combination of sounds. Yeah. Super interesting. My question would be, what are your key elements? And I'm talking gear elements that you use in mastering opposed to what mm-hmm. we would be using in live or a uh, tracking situation. Um, so I have a massive passive that I really like using. Um, it's just got a really nice warm tone that I, I enjoy. Um, and then I also use, um, a couple different compressors. Um, I'll kind of fluctuate between an API 2500. Um, we also have, um, an SSL compressor that we'll use that I'll kind of switch out if I find I want to use that. Um, but I actually also use a lot of stuff in the box. Um, just cause it's, especially using, um, in mastering particularly like 
sometimes the changes you're doing are so small and minute that digital that plugins are so much easier to use because you can get that like fine tuning as opposed to you know a piece of outboard gear tends to be detented or you know not as um precise so that's i i do like to use that um i'm a huge fan of fab filter their stuff is i i use their eq probably on everything i master um and then another plugin that i love is the soothe plugin um by oakwood or oak sound um i'm not sure if you guys have heard it but it's been I, a lifesaver I'm, for DSing. I, I know what it is. I've not used it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's been a lifesaver for me in terms of DSing, especially when I'm working on vinyl, because a lot of times, too, vocals will be so bright and the S's will be so harsh. And because of that high frequency content, it doesn't play back well on vinyl. So I, I tend to have to do a lot more DSing when I'm cutting. And, and it's been just probably a life. It, like I said, it's been a lifesaver for me yeah. in terms of cutting so well that's a, so that's a great transition um song to go. song mastering or do you ever just like run your master straight through the mix that's a good question um it's usually song to i mean every song i, I tweak the master a little bit um because you know especially with an album um you know i want to make sure the low end all matches i want to make sure that the level's the same, you know, everything sonically sounds like it's living in the same um, space and, and all that. And so I, I definitely will tweak things song to song. Um, but when I'm cutting, I mean, I usually just set my settings and I just cut. So I, I, I won't change my settings between each song. I just set it because everything by that point is already mastered. Um, a lot the files I get are either already digitally mastered files or they're um, vinyl pre-masters so they've already been um, mastered and approved by the artist so all I'm trying to do is just make it fit to vinyl and sound good on vinyl and so I'll just have my one set of settings place it and then just run it down um, Super so intriguing. that changes I like too that. between digital and vinyl so mm -hmm. we'll, we'll, let's talk about that then so what is the difference of mastering digitally versus vinyl what, what do you have to do for vinyl differently than what we're used to now from a digital release um well the biggest thing is you just have to keep in mind the um the physical limitations of vinyl or or lacquer which is the material we use to um to uh cut the grooves onto so it's basically just an aluminum disc with a coat of acetate on it, which is highly flammable, um, which is fun. Um, but yeah, so you just have to keep the, keep in mind the limitations. And, and like I said earlier, um, the, the louder an album is or a song or anything, the louder the source material is the more space it will take up on a record. So you can't, in space, we're talking depth or length? Length. Depth, right? Oh, length. Length, yeah. So, like, the long... So, the louder it is, the the more space, lengthwise, it's width-wise, it's going to take on the record. Width. Interesting. Okay. Width. Yes. Because it's a way, so, it's a waveform. You're literally making a bigger waveform. Yeah. It's fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. Is, there, is, there a, <laughs> is there a a Luff's equivalent of... Um, 
as to how loud something can be printed to vinyl or no like if it, digitally if you're looking at a certain luffs does that translate to uh how loud your target is for printing for vinyl yeah so we typically i'll cut between minus 18 and minus 21 luffs um obviously if it's a shorter side i'll be able to push it to like minus 18 maybe even minus 17 um but i don't want to cut it too loud to the point where you know if someone's playing their vinyl the needle jumps because it's too loud and it skips so i i I tend to keep it between minus 18 and minus 21 um that kind of seems like the sweet spot for um normal side normal um length sides which i like optimally we want a side that's like 16 to 20 minutes 21 minutes um, anything past 21 starts to get, you know, we start having to take out more low end. We start having to bring the level down more to be oh, able to fit. Um, because, um, wow. yeah. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's just a lot of like playing around with it. And, and, and eventually you just kind of figure out, okay, I got to bring, you know, it, it down this much and I should mono below a hundred. Um, you know, maybe fully, or I can kind of keep it a little bit, but yeah. So, so do you have to, uh, how do you, when you are mastering this pre printing, mm-hmm. how do you know, uh, what that's going to translate when you're listening to it now digitally versus how it's going to translate? Is there any curves on your speakers? Is there like, how do you know that it's sitting where you need to sit? Is it just a, a headspace knowledge? Like, Hey, I know what this needs to sound like. It'll translate to X once I actually play it back through a needle and it's been cut and all that um yeah so we we'll do these things called test cuts where um well first off be after you've done it for a while i mean i've been cutting for about for over a year now so i can kind of when i listen to the source material i can kind of guess you know what i i need to do to be able to get this to work on vinyl just because I know the limitations of it and I also know my machine, like I know it's quirks and, and all that. Um, but we'll do these things called test cuts where we'll just take a piece of scrap lacquer and we'll pick sections um, that we think might be problematic on lacquer. Mm. We want to hear on lacquer and we'll do that and we'll, we'll cut those and then just play it back. Um, I play mine off the lathe and I'll just a B it between what it's playing off of and the source material I got. So the, the, Un, unaltered dig files but sure. just level drop to match it level wise I, I, i'd be curious and this probably exists out there i could probably you know youtube it or whatever but like um mm. do you are there uh references of like hey this is a digital master this is the vinyl master and you can kind of a b and hear what has been done to the two to hear to hear the difference from a digital standpoint you know I mean? like i can listen to like what treatment was done from for the vinyl versus the digital release there probably is i mean i haven't I haven't looked it up or, or I, that's not something we did when I was trained. It was more just, you know, when I was taught how to cut, I was just told like, here are the limitations, here are the things that I have found that have worked. You try it now. And it was just kind of like trial and error. I mean, sometimes, yeah, like sometimes I'll, I'll do, I'll make my tweaks and I'll do it. And I'm like, uh, I can add, maybe I, I took out too much a high end. I could add a little bit more in. Or, um, uh, 
oh, the, the, the low end is still too boomy. I got to model that a little bit more. Um, so I'll, I'll usually do like two to three, two or three rounds of test cuts before I actually cut a whole side. Cause once you cut the whole side too, you can't play it back. Um, cause it'll affect the fidelity of, um, the lacquer. So you can't, once it's cut, it's gotta go get plated. You can't play it back. Wow. Obviously you have to know, uh, the upbringing of vinyl and where it mm -hmm. came from it and the innovators and the creators of, of these things that you're talking about. Right. So that's where the whole apprenticeship thing comes in. What have you always been taught? Mm -hmm. or what have you listened to that has been like the pinnacle of how this was created? Like, is there a certain album that people reference that they're like, Oh, this is when they did stereo on the left side and right side and, or, is there their pinpoints in vinyl history where they're like, dude, this album revolutionized how we did vinyl pressing? That's a good question. Um, I have, I don't think there's like a specific album, but I know a lot of times people have referenced um, old Motown records and how those, if you look at those records under a microscope, how those look compared to, you know, records before that. Um, so the early Motown stuff is definitely a good, like, revolutionary, you know, we can really make things sound good on vinyl. Um, I agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, that, those those come up all the time. Um, and I, I wish I, honestly, I wish I've heard more of them. I haven't. Um, but I think that's, that's kind of the big like revolutionary part of it. There was, I feel like there was another one that we've, we've talked about before and it's, it, I'm drawing a blank, but um, I really like that question. I actually want to do more digging into that and, and see if there's, th there probably is like, like a standard one. And I'm just, I'm not thinking. Of was it there, right was there something that you heard that like exploded your brain though? And you were like, I got to learn everything about that. There was that, you know, I mean, I think, I can speak for all of us. Mm -hmm. There was that one recording that we heard that was like, this is crazy shit. And you just you're kind of obsessed with it. Like, what was that for you? Um, well, not vinyl wise. So I really didn't like the song Royals by, um, Lord when it came out. Um, I didn't like it. Like I, I thought that's that the song, only song honestly, I like by I her. Thought, <laughs> really? I didn't like it when it came out. Rest I thought it was annoying garbage. and like, I, <laughs> I was like, I don't understand this. But then I went to a mastering studio when I lived in New York and he, the engineer sat me down in the center of the room and played it for me. And I was like, holy shit, like this sounds amazing. And then I, then I liked it because <laughs> I heard it in like a really nice environment. Um, so yeah, that was record like digital wise that was that was the mo that was like a standout moment for me um and then I'm trying to think back to vinyl i remember listening when i was in college i listened to um a grizzly bear album i forgot the name of which album it was but it came out in like 2011 2012 and um i remember listening to it on vinyl and i was like this is this is the coolest shit so um I think those are my two instances. Well, that brings up a good question. Probably, so, wait, what? Go ahead. 
No, I was going to say we should probably talk about the soccer game. Well, yes, yeah. I do want to do that. But while we're kind of still here on what you know, what vinyl, what? Why did you get into this? Why did you get into mastering? Why did you get into vinyl? How, what? What? What brought you there? And then we could definitely get into the, the soccer thing for sure. Um. So, I when I was in college, I um, I went to school for music production and technology. I grew up playing piano and guitar and violin, and I loved music, but um. I, and I loved production, but I didn't really know what I wanted to focus on. I, I, I kind of liked a little bit of everything. Like I did some sound design. I did some audio post. I did live sound. Um, I, I bopped around a lot, but I just didn't really know what I liked. And so when it was time for me to do an internship, um, there was a U-Hart, because I went to University of Hartford in Connecticut, and there was a Hart grad who was um working at a studio in nashville and he was like you know do you want internship and i was like sure i don't know anything about mastering but i could give it a shot because they don't teach mastering really in in school either so or in most programs um because so i interned and i really huh i'm I'm kidding i said because it's voodoo i was just joking oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so I, i ended up interning at a mastering studio and i really liked it and i just found that i i have a hard time with mixing you're focusing on a song for so long sometimes and you're sitting with an album or a song for a a long time whereas mastering like i mean we're constantly overturning albums every day um so i just kind of like that pace um and working with all different genres whereas i feel like with tracking and mixing you tend to kind of stay within similar genres but mastering i mean Sometimes I'm working on a country thing. Sometimes I'm working on hip hop. Sometimes I'm working on indie rock. Like it, it's constantly changing. Um, that's so that's cool. another thing that really drew me to it. Um, and also like I did, I, I was a tracking engineer for a little while and, and truthfully, I don't like setting things up. Like I just, <laughs> it, I, I just, it, it was like my least favorite part. And I was like, I mastering, you kind of just walk in and it's there and, it's another great thing I like about it. So nice. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get into the soccer thing. So what, uh, tell us about that. I mean, you know, cutting live, the, the context I know is you're cutting live highlights. And then I saw a video of you handing that pressing, I think, or whatever to maybe the winning team or, mm-hmm. or the home team. What's, what's, uh, what's, what's that all about? Yeah. So we have a partnership with, um, the Nashville soccer club. Um, they just opened their, excuse me, there's, um, brand new stadium here in Nashville, Geodis Park. It's beautiful. It's 30,000 seats. It's, I think it's the biggest soccer specific stadium in, uh, the Northern hemisphere, I think. Anyways, they just opened it. And, um, so our job is we go to all the home games, um, which there are 17 this season. And we have this um, small cutting lathe and we take a feed, like the iHeartRadio feed, and we're cutting game highlights um, live on the field. Um, And where we're set up is right on the entrance to the field where the players come out. So, I mean, I think we're like maybe 10 feet away from the soccer field, probably less. 
Um, the I got the hit pitch. The can we call the it the game, pitch? So, sure, we can call it the pitch. Um, that's from yeah, my, like a ball UK... hit the first game. <laughs> really? So you, you're you're cutting um, live though. So um, are you headphoning everything on the side of the stage? I saw one picture, and this is what got me super excited because one soccer is not a huge sport like it is everywhere else in the world. And um, mm-hmm. I play. My daughter plays like the soccer's huge in the Midwest. So it's cool to see all these parks opening. Um, you're you're headphoning everything live to this disc. Yep. Is it difficult? With- so not. Um. So we're not headphoning everything. We're just so we have the radio feed and we're headphoning that the whole game but then we're only capturing and cutting the highlights so if someone scores a goal or if there's like a really good save or uh, for the home team if it's the away if it's the opposing team we don't record <laughs> yeah, screw it them. Um, yeah screw more those guys yeah yeah <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah and so um uh luckily there is a little bit of a delay um it, it fluctuates between 30 and 45 seconds so like a play will happen and then it won't hit the radio feed for another like 30 to 45 seconds. So we have a minute to kind of, you know, bring the cutter head in, drop it, you know, get prepped so we don't miss it. Um, but yeah, and then at the end of the game, um, we give the um, ready to play disc to a fan. And then that fan presents it to the man of the match. So it's um, basically the MVP of the match. Um, on the national soccer team. Um, so usually it's the, it's the player that, you know, scored the first goal or had the most saves or something like that. Um, but yeah, and we do it for every single game. So I think we've had awesome. four so far. That's amazing. Yeah. You, get, you don't give it to yeah, the one that fall downs and act like they're hurt. So they get, <laughs> <laughs> that happens a lot in soccer. They fall down and act like they're hurt it for really, a while. It really does. Yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't really believe how much it happened until I started going to all these games. And I'm like, and it's funny because they'll, they'll do that. And then like five seconds later, they're up and everything's okay. Like it's, yeah, they're it's kind really, of drama um, queens. Going to go ahead and say it. They're kind of bit. drama queens. <laughs> so how, how did this uh, yeah, concept, but I mean, it's, oh, good. No, I mean, I, I just want, they're just, I mean, the athleticism it takes to be a soccer player is just so impressive. So, um, have, have you seen Kyle? He's like freaking swole yeah. as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> he, he really is. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Those are soccer legs for sure. I love, I love your soccer. It, it's, it's so cool that you're able to do that. And, and you know what? It's very Nashville. It really is to be able to cut a record and have yep. a fan give that to them. That like it, it embodies the city at that point. And I think that's a, a brilliant thing. Yeah. Like you're, that picture that was shared, shared over social media should have been on every cover of USA Today because that's like embodying what Nashville stands for. It really is. Like, what a cool job to have. Like, as soon as Chris sent it over to the group text message, I was like, this is amazing. And all those things started running through my head, even these stupid things. And that was before I was taking the alpha brain. So, um, <laughs> I can't, I can't really attribute, you know, that, but if you guys want to give me, um, you know, endorsement to alpha brain, I'm totally down for it. Cause I think I've proven myself on this episode that it works. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean it. I mean that's the whole point. Like it's it's Music City. That's like, um, and they approached us. I mean, National Soccer Club came to us and was like, you know, this is the, this is what we want to do. Like, can we do it? And we were like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, it. So it it, it was really it it came to fruition from them. I mean, that was their idea and um it, it's it is cool like it's 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 a really cool marriage between sports and music which is you know a, a lot of times music programs and music activities kind of get swept under the rug for sports and this is just like a really nice um example of how both are so important and and um should be represented equally and oh, i love that and, yeah, yeah and they're both really exciting it, yeah that it, it, and we've had a couple of sports mixers on and people that have worked sports broadcast and it it's it's so exciting like that thing has to be just as important as the downbeat for those who mix music and it, it's it's so closely correlated it's it's fun and to be able, are you kidding me you're going to give me free tickets to stand 10 yards from the field and cut a record what a cool yeah. opportunity holy cow like that that's once in a lifetime kudos to you for being able to do that that's brilliant like i hope it gets all the press in the world because it's it's super smart like i i love it every bit of it yeah it's 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 a lot of fun um it, and yeah i mean being able to go to those games and and the the you know you mentioned earlier that like soccer is not really that it, it's popular in the midwest but it's it's pretty big here i mean they've been they've been selling out that stadium at every game. I mean, the crowds are huge at all the games. Um, it's really, uh, it's really great to be a part of it. Um, and, and also just kind of bring to, uh, you know, bring to light, like what vinyl is. Cause a lot of times people in the audience will come up to us and they're, well, they'll, they'll peer over the, the um, gate and they're like, what's that? And we explain it and it's, and their eyes light up. They're really excited about it. And we're like, yeah. Yeah, this is like a thing you can do and it's fun and um no, I really enjoy it and I'm I'm glad that we're able to do it. And I I hope that, you know, maybe it gives other teams the idea to do it too. Well, if anyone's listened from the St. Louis City Soccer Club which opens next year. <laughs> I live in St. Louis and I would love to come down and pretend to cut vinyl, but maybe I'll just record a cassette for everybody. <laughs> You know, may, maybe I'll borrow I mean, Bobby, Chris's Bobby machine. Bobby can probably teach. Yeah, I'll, I'll send them a yeah, cassette machine. You. Bobby it's teach you a few things. With the little Dolby yeah. logo on it. I love it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. Man, super interesting. It's weird how this thing comes full circle. It really I, is. I have something I have to ask, though. I'm going to be mad for not asking it. Um, so no, you, you've said it, a couple podcast, times, like, you want. some of the low end to mono, like, which is a pretty like common thing for us to do in the live sound world. Um, I think a lot of us probably mm -hmm. don't realize that it does have roots, like you said, in in the in the vinyl world. And there were technical reasons to do it, like so the needle wouldn't jump out of the groove. But I read that at the you know old school days, the thing they would use to do this is called an elliptical EQ. Do you still use an elliptical EQ to use a plugin? Like, what is? How are you doing that? I'm so interested in this. <laughs> I, I'm I'm using I'm just using like my ozone imager. Um, so is that a function? I mean, you pick are, like a corner frequency and below that frequency, it, it sums it. Yeah. So, I mean, there are plenty of cutting engineers that still have uh, elliptical EQs. Um, but that's, that's how, that's what they use to, to mono it. But we, I use, um, 
uh, I have like the ozone master suite and I just use the imager and I'll just kind of pinpoint the frequency I want. And then mono, you know, X amount below that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, like I said, there are plenty of cutting engineers still that, that have elliptical EQs, especially if they're doing, I I mean, we kind of do it a, a little bit of a hybrid where I'm using a DAW and I use plugins and then that is what those settings is what I use when I cut. But if you're doing everything, you know, analog to analog, no DAW, completely bypassing the computer. Oh my God, that's so cute. Yeah, I sorry. Guess a, the bird wanted to come see dad. Hi, buddy. You heard what's going on in here, huh? You want to be a part is of that, this? Is, yeah. that, is that Joey? That's Joey. Yeah. I forgot Joey to shut my door. So he's, yeah, he's coming to see the, he's interested in this elliptical EQ business. Huh? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, especially if you're just doing like, you know, an all analog setup, you'll have your elliptical EQ. So that's still very much present. That's really neat. That's badass. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, I see now I can sleep at night because uh, I was been wondering about that for <laughs> years. You know yeah, the I've been wondering about elliptical EQ that keeping me up. <laughs> He's gonna buy two more albums by the next time he he talks to us. <laughs> yes, he is. You know, there was. I expect the, to see two. There more. was a. There was a weird. I mean, it's not weird. I know exactly what it is. There's, there's a tangibility to it, like. It's not the same to work for an artist and go, oh, they're on Spotify. Let me go listen to the stop. Go listen to their music on Spotify. Like <laughs> it was very different to work for an artist and then be in Walmart and see this album. And you like, I know these songs because I work on this tour. Like there was a very different visceral thing to it. Like this, I have a physical connection to this object and it's important to me versus like, oh, I get to get the album on Spotify because I worked on it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I totally get it. Joey, all right, that's enough with the bird now. The the, the album art, the, <laughs> the back album art, the track listing, the sleeve, everything yeah. that used to go with yeah. it was this tangible, cool thing that you could sit there and read. Like, that's how, okay, so here's yeah. old dude Kyle speaking again. When I used to get albums, I used to read the thank you list that the band put at the end to figure out what band I was going to go listen to next because that band thanked another band that I had never heard of before because yeah, it, it, everything wasn't, we didn't have the interwebs or BBS back then, you know, no one had a Commodore 64 quite yet with the modem, with the phone that went on it. So mm-hmm. It was interesting because that's a different retrospective of the group that you're buying was the album art. Like I've showed it on an episode before. I have cover art from hip hop from the beginning to now. Like it's, it's literally just a book full of, of hip hop cover art. And it's amazing to me. Like it's just, it's, it's this cool, tangible medium and, and that's why relating it to soccer and and think about all the spoken word stuff that people have put out on only album, you know, and mm-hmm. the old Orson Welles and stories that people like. I remember listening to books yeah. on album when I was a kid and, and Walt Disney albums. And it, it, it's something it, it's a lost art that I think. It, it formed my childhood. It really did. As much mm-hmm. as I didn't want to hear my parents' Sonny and Cher album over and over, um, it, <laughs> it, it it formed a thing. And, man, it's so cool to see you holding this interest and in, in your company doing it as well. This has been quite interesting. I, I'm curious, as someone who has to, I mean, this is a thing, even we wrestle with as live sound engineers, recording engineers, and master engineers. Um, are you are you still able to appreciate music or do you get burnt out on music? 
Oh, I'm still able to appreciate it. I, I'm one of those annoying people that like will find a song that I really like and then just play it to death until like, I can't stand it anymore. Um, which is funny because I'm like, I'm, I'm a mastery engineer. So I, you know, I spend, I, I flip through songs like every day, you know, working through albums and, and sure. singles every day, but I can sit there and listen to like the same album over and over. Um, I still, I still very much like am able to enjoy music. Um, sometimes like when I listen, I can hear kind of the like technical things or, Oh, that's yeah. a click. That's a pop. Someone should have taken that out. Um, that's the part I hate that I, I, I just immediately go to that. Um, but I, I feel very fortunate that I'm able to still enjoy it. Good. That's, that's, that's good. I mean, I think it's, it's an important thing for us people who do audio for a living that we can still appreciate music. I know, um, mm-hmm. I know for the, for a period of time where, I mean, I like, I would like pretty much only listen to podcasts because it was just like, you know what? I do so much music things. I need, I need to like separate that, but then I've been able to kind of bring that back in and, 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 appreciate it and separate it and but yeah that's cool yeah michael oh i just want to say thanks for coming and talking about this, this is really well, fascinating hit your hit your, hit your hit, hit your question oh i thought you were like oh the floor is yours counselor um all right so uh Doctor. we're all gonna come visit you we're gonna take us for lunch what's your favorite spot oh man nashville has so many good places have any of you ever been to nashville i have but not recently yeah. I was just okay. there Tuesday for a Grammy party. Oh, you were? Wait. Yep. Last Tuesday? Yep. I was I at was the there. I was at the Yeehaw for Zach Brown band. The... Yeah, I was there. Yeah, what? I was there too. <laughs> hey. I was also there. Yes. I'm I'm the system um, engineer for them. Oh, you are? That's awesome. Yeah. They sounded great. I didn't Good job, Kyle. That's Eric. He's Not, great. That oh. just just take the take the, I, well, take the credit, Kyle. You delivered it, Kyle. It just it. you could <laughs> you could have made it not sound good though. I you, you I mastered it before he mixed it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. No, I that was that was a great um great event. I really uh there was like a Nashville block party that the Recording Academy hosted, and it was a lot of fun. Um. But food, where where would I take you? Um, one of my favorite restaurants is, I have so many. Um, I really like this place called Margot in East Nashville. Um, it's like a French bistro restaurant that I really like. Um, Butcher and Bee is another great one. Um, if you want barbecue, obviously, there's like... Um, Martin's and Edley's. Um, Edley's those are probably is two like staples. If you, if Edley's you, is if really you could good. go right now and go eat whatever your heart desires, what are you ordering? I got it. There's an Italian. I'm Italian. Um, right, now, now you're speaking to Michael. Keep going. I'm listening. Yes, I. <laughs> yes. So my my grandparents are like off the boat, Italy. Um, they always say the boat because my grandmother was off the boat too, and and everyone says the boat. So maybe there's just like one boat, and everybody was on it. That's kind of how. <laughs> that's what boat. I picture, like Noah's Ark type shit. You know, it's a big giant Italian <laughs> yeah. flag on the side of the boat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My grandma's. My grandma was always just like, yeah, like you know, when we came off the boat, and so, um, 
but I uh, love that. That's right in the Nashville. You parked. You parked right, right in the Nashville off the boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> right at right at Jack's. <laughs> yep. On Broadway. Oh, I have a yes, Jack's. Yes, I, I had to think of it for a second. Um, but there's a place called Nicoletta's. Um, there's two locations in East Na- in in Nashville. Um, but they make like all handmade pasta and. Um, I usually get like the make your own pasta bowl um, let's and do it. it's like, let's do it. I mean, that's yeah. amazing. I'll do like the spinach fettuccine pesto with like roasted chicken and broccoli. Mm. And it's like always, it, it's, it's more of like a comfort thing for me yes. um, when I get that. So that's, that's what I'm ordering. If I go, when I go home. Hell yeah. Let's I do mean, it. Let's a- after natural. all, I mean, like, I mean, yeah, food is meant to be enjoyed, right? It's not just food is not oh, just a, a source of, I mean, to live by. I mean, it's, it's an experience, you know? Um, right. All right. So Bobby, if, uh, if you could define your legacy or how you'd want to be known, how would you define that? Oh my God. Another one. Good one. These you are the same, the same whole, for the you end. Yeah. Listen to a whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I just like, don't remember this part. Um, it's sorry, different when you're in it, right? It like hits different. There's, to, like... there's only about five people who make it to the end of yeah. each of these episodes. So it's okay. It's, it's, I, I okay. Also, like, not, you guys can't, well, you guys can see me, but there's something in my eye, so that's why I keep, like, messing with it. But, um, I thought you were crying because you were thinking about the pasta and how delicious it would be. I mean, that too. Like, <laughs> I'm so into mean, when Kyle, when Kyle takes his shirt off, it just happens, so it's okay. Yeah. People weep. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> Willie Nelson. Um, oh, love Willie Nelson. I worked on a couple of his albums. I was an assistant on a couple of his albums. Like a few years ago, I loved them. Um, but legacy, uh, just like I don't know, like I I did, I did good work, and I and I helped kind of. I'm 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 very much I'm very passionate about kind of talking about diversity in the in in the audio industry. Okay. Um, and so just kind of, um, being an advocate for that and and. Cause I, I always just talk about how like, you know, 30, 40 years ago, the industry was much harder for women and, and non-binary individuals and people of color and, and all that. And, and so now like 30, 40 years later, it's, it's better, marginally better, but you know, I hope the next generation, it's even better for them because of the work that me and my generation have done for them. Absolutely. Um, so that's, that's, if I had to leave a legacy, that's probably what it would be. It's awesome. Well, you're off to a great start. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us. It's been a yeah. Thank you for fun, having me. This was great. Fun, different conversation that I hope people fascinating. I know people will enjoy it. Yes, it's it's awesome. It's awesome. Perfect. No, thank you guys so much for having me. This was this was a blast. 